0: Lord, your Son came to bring the kingdom of God near to us sinners. And as we prepare for his coming once again, at this time in glory, we do so with repentance, turning to you to confess our sins, knowing that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who speaks words of forgiveness because of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we live lives of repentance, let us do so trusting in your mercy. And as we study your word this day, may we see your mercy in our Savior Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Okay, so John 6, uh, last week we finished the Feeding of the 5,000 and we transitioned a little bit into the walking on the water. Remember that the Feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, the walking on water is not recorded in the Gospel of Luke, so it's, it's three out of four. It's pretty good, pretty good showing. Um, but these two are connected when they are mentioned, both Ephesians 5,000 and the walking on water. So um, you guys are pretty familiar with the walking on the water. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a, a saying in our world. If someone thinks they're all that, then you say, oh, you think you walk on water, right? So it's kind of a, a messianic illusion um, or metaphor. But uh, John's recording of the events is a little different than what you're used to in Matthew and Mark. We're not going to have Peter getting out of the boat, all those kinds of things. That's not in John. So we'll see what is in John and why. Okay? So any questions from last week or anything you've been thinking about that you want to ask or (coughs) discuss? I'm not supposed to ask that way. I, I... I... I read a, an article on how to teach better and it said don't ask do you have any questions because that, that makes people think that you're just done talking. Instead you'll say what questions do you have for me? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what questions do you have for me? <laughs> Susan, it worked! <laughs> yes. Uh, at the, end of the gospel reading and if you are willing to Accepted. It's, uh, yeah. it is, he is Elijah who is to come. Yeah. Meaning what? So in Malachi, it says that before the Lord's whatever promised guy comes, Elijah will come. <coughs> okay? So Elijah, who didn't die but went up into heaven, he's going to come back before the Messiah. Oh. And so they're they're hanging out and they're going, well, Messiah can't come until Elijah comes. So when well, you remember they go out to ask John the Baptist say, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And he goes, no. And I go, what are you? The prophet. Okay. Are you Elijah? And John says, no. And Jesus says, yes, you are. And John goes, really? Huh? So, so John the Baptist, according to Jesus, actually is the promised Elijah. He's the one that comes to prepare the way for the Christ. Okay. So it's a prophecy fulfillment thing. Um, and that's one of the issues is is that John the Baptist doesn't fully understand everything that he is. He knows he's the voice of the one from Isaiah. He says that in John, right? I am the voice of the one crying out of the wilderness. But Jesus then tells us that he actually is the promised Elijah. Another thing. Because he... Didn't we just hear the other week about how uh, the babe lived in the womb? Yep. Elizabeth. And then he says he does not he sent him his, his disciples to find out. Yeah, no. It is. Yeah, John is this weird dude. He's at, sometimes he's like, well, there's, that's, that's him. He's the Lamb of God, takes away his sins. Otherwise, other he's like, I don't even know who this guy is. And you're going, <laughs> you're first cousins. You, you knew him when you were in the womb. How do you not know him? So, what, what happens with the witness of John the Baptist is he knows what he knows, but he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Which is kind of the boat that we're all in. Yeah. There are certain things you're like, Yeah, I know that. There's no doubt about it. The other things are like, what about this? And you go, Yeah, I don't know. Right? So today we had this weird event where um, it was really cool. I don't know if you were there or not. Most some of you I saw you there. But Jesus came to us physically. It was kinda of cool. Like eternally amazing. And sinners knelt and received the very body and blood of Christ in with another bread and wine, right? Do you know that? How does that happen? How is Jesus there? Oh. He said so. Yeah, because he said so. So that which we know? We know. And that which we don't know? I don't know. You don't have to know. But you do know that Jesus said it, so it's true. So John the Baptist, remember, he hasn't seen the death and resurrection yet. So he's going, Yeah You look like the Messiah, you act like the Messiah. Are you the Messiah? And that's one way to take it. Or the other thing is he's trying to instruct his disciples to hear from Jesus himself who he is. Right? So he's so another way to read that question is this is the transition where John the Baptist is basically saying to his disciples, don't be my disciples anymore, go be his disciples. So they send him. They, he sends them to Jesus to hear from Jesus' own mouth the confession of who he is. And what he does is he he cites Isaiah. So he probably had a clue what was going on. Yeah. So I think that it's it's a little easier to read the text to believe that John the Baptist no he doesn't know all the details about how Jesus is going to do everything because he hasn't seen the death and resurrection yet, but he does believe that he is the promised Messiah somehow. Right? Does that make sense? And I think that's kind of consistent in the, the scriptures. I mean, if, if he were asked, if he were Elijah, he could have been taken that as a little question, not necessarily metaphor. Sure. Yeah, he's like, no, I'm not. You know, that if they said, are you the forerunner of the Christ, you would have said, yeah, I am. But they're asking if he's, who is he claiming to be? And he's not, he's not claiming anything for himself, which is one of the reasons that John is so great. Right, that's not his job is to claim stuff for himself. His job is to point building to Jesus. Okay? What other questions do you have for me? <laughs> do you go running on anything like this? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Okay, number one, let's read John six verses fifteen through twenty one. Okay, thank you. Um, just, just I know some people freak him out at the three to four miles. The Sea of Galilee is bigger than you think. The Sea of Galilee, remember... Uh, oh, boy. We have, we have technical difficulties today, so my drawings will be even worse than usual. <laughs> yeah, so there's... This is Israel. And, <laughs> okay, this is Israel. Jerusalem. Bethlehem. This is the Sea of Galilee and it's it's eight... Oh boy. <laughs> eight miles wide and 13 miles long. About. It's not exactly an oval, but you know, if you measure basically its widest spot, it's about eight miles wide and it's about 13 miles long. Um, the circumference of the lake is about thir- 33 miles, something like that. It's crazy deep. Like, crazy deep. So... Um, when they when they rode Three or four miles they're probably they usually would row along the shore But this winds aren't allowing them. it's driving them kind of into the middle of the lake or even further south than They want to go um, So the winds are causing trouble now you get all kinds of crazy things said like they were lost and in peril They didn't know what they were doing. Come on. These are professional fishermen. They They did this for a living. They weren't like, it's windy. I don't know what to do. You know, that's not what's going on here. Um, But the wind does, you know, move boats as it pleases, Uh, which is weird because remember in John chapter three, what does Jesus say about the spirit? It blows. Where it was. Well, remember spirit and wind are the same word in Hebrew. Exactly the same word. It's Ruach. So um, you're, you, it, it, we'll get there, okay? But that's what's going on. Um, the lake is plenty big for this to happen. Some people say, the sea of Galilee is only like that big. Like, no, it's not. It's bigger than you think. Okay, so number one, who walks on water? Jesus, Jesus but I probably would If the answer is Jesus, the space is only that big. So who else walks on water? Peter. Peter, not, not in this gospel. God. God. Where do you find that? Last week we did this quickly. Job chapter 9, verse 8. Job, the book of Job. Go ahead and turn there. Job is right before Psalms. Okay, Psalms is kind of the middle of your Old Testament, middle of the Bible. Uh, job is right before that. Job chapter 9. It, in your Bible, it's probably under Job. But, yeah. <laughs> It's the same book as Job in the English Bible. See, that's that's kind of the first entryway into Christianity is how do you pronounce the book of Job? If you just walk up off the street, you're like, hey, there's a book called Job. I'm not reading that. <laughs> I want to read the book called Vacation. Okay. I'm sorry. That's all I got this morning. I'm tired. It's cold out. All right. Job 9, verse 8. Who alone stretched out the heavens and Okay, so this is, this is Job and, and Yahweh, really Job at this point, talking about the qualities of Yahweh as the only true God. And one of the qualities of Yahweh that he alone can do is walk on water. The only being that can walk on water is Yahweh. Okay, being is a weird word, but... Okay, is that cool? All right, since you're in Job, which is under Job, go to Psalms, Which in Hebrew is Psalms. Okay, that's the next book Psalms, Psalm 77. This is slightly out of order, but that's okay because it's easier to turn to Psalms when you're in Job. So, Psalm 77, verse 19. Well, I don't know. Let's read 18 too because it's just fun. Or 16. <clears throat> you want to read 16? Yeah. All right. Let's read 16 through 19. It brings it all in. So. saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lightning Lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Okay, isn't that fun? We have more water walking stuff with God doing it. All right, go to Genesis. Chapter 1. The very beginning of the whole, bu- whole thing. Verse 2. difficult, without a pen. Genesis 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Alright, so there's a lot going on in the Old Testament with God on water, over water, storms, deep, Right? And now all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the water in John 6. Okay, so this is all going on. And as John writes this, as we go through this little passage, I know it's just a short little passage. John wants you to have a bunch of things in your mind as you hear this story. And we just read a couple of them. He wants you thinking that Yahweh alone walks on the water. He wants you thinking that God um, is hovering over the waters at creation and there's some other metaphors that we'll look at. so just kind of keep all that in your head as we go forward. So number two, how does one enter the kingdom of God? Where would you find that? Through Good through baptism. in John chapter 3, no one enters the kingdom of God except by water, water and the water. nope. Spirit. spirit. Okay, so we have water and spirit. Isn't this interesting? Oh boy, I, I have I have no control. I've lost control. Okay, so, ooh, that's fun. <laughs> I have no idea how to do this. Just close your eyes and relax. <laughs> Are you presuming that I have my eyes open when I draw normally? (laughs) Have you seen my drawings? (laughs) Okay, so water in the Spirit. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. That's fun. (laughs) This week I have an excuse. Normally it's just my terrible penmanship, but this week I have an excuse. Okay, now. So that harkens back to Genesis 1, verse 2. We have water in the Spirit and hovering, right? Now, also go back to John chapter 1. Verse 32. Well, we should read 31 and 32. Um, I myself did not know him. Whoa. Yep. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. 32. like a dove, and it remained on him. Okay, so what do we have here? We have water and the Spirit all combined in the baptism of Jesus. So, who is this Jesus? He himself is the entry point to the kingdom of God. It's Jesus, right? you see how all that works? So, the Gospel of John... As with the other Gospels, right? As with the Synoptic Gospels, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, there's only one way in, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Now, the question for you is, how do you get Jesus? And the answer is? Water and the Spirit. Where do you get that? Baptism. Baptism. See how it works? That's why baptism is a means of grace. It's not because we want to say, ooh, we like baptism a lot, let's make it into something. No, no, no. Baptism is a means of grace because it's in baptism that you are into Christ who is the entryway into the kingdom of God. You want to get all the stuff that Jesus did for you? It's in baptism. Is it just in baptism? No. It's in the Lord's Supper. Okay, so do you see the Lord's Supper? What do you get? You are given... The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's given to you physically in with an bread and wine, the very body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's given to you. Where else do you get it? In the word, in the hearing of the word. Okay. So this is what we refer to as the means of grace. The way that God comes to you and gives you all the stuff that Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection, right? And, and it's clear throughout the Scriptures that this is what's going on. Which isn't weird because this is the God who always interacts with people through His creation. Yeah? When He wanted to talk to Moses, how did He do it? He didn't text him. Right. He showed up in a burning bush. He showed up in creation. He used part of creation as a means... To bring his word to Moses in order to save his people. When he saved his people, how did he do it? Through physical means. Right, through the cross later. But I'm sorry, I was thinking in Exodus. from Out of Egypt, right. Well, you're right, obviously. (laughs) You've read the end, right? (laughs) You know know how the story ends. (laughs) So in, in the Exodus, he actually works through physical means. He works through the means of the plagues right he works through the means of, of them asking for jewelry from the, the people there which, which God has a good plan for the people kind of mess up a little bit later but God has a good plan and he actually works through physical means even in the exodus and remember one of the physical means that God works through in the Exodus account is them going through the sea. the sea the Red Sea not the Dead Sea that's too salty it's the Red Sea okay so Again, yeah, they could have just floated across that one. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I want you to see. We've got we've got metaphors of creation with the Spirit of God in the waters. We've got Yahweh walking on water, and we've got the Exodus. All of these things are major water God events. Now, don't forget, the Exodus is recapitulated, or done again, when Israel enters into the promised land. land. Once again, the water is dried up, or this time stopped, and they walk across on dry ground, right? And the presence of the Lord is what does that for them. And they are, they actually are literally walk into the promised land across the dry Jordan River. So this is another metaphor you're supposed to be thinking of if all this water and God stuff is also entered into the promised land. Okay? And where's the promised land for us? Jesus. Kansas. That's right. Across <laughs> uh, the Missouri River. I've been there. It's Kansas. <laughs> no, for us, the promised land is Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the promises. Jesus, okay? And when you abide in him, where do you get to live for all of eternity? Wherever he is, which is what we call heaven, right? So this is all of this going on. So is there any place where all of this is brought together in the Old Testament? Go to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah. So if you're in Job and Psalms, just keep going. You got to go. Has Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and then you get to Isaiah. Big old book, hard to miss. Isaiah 43. This is a verse you've probably heard. It's it's a very good one to know. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Hey, I mean, you keep reading. The whole thing's amazing. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Good. Okay? Now, if, if you don't know that passage, that's a good one to know. But do you see what you got here? You've got the God who creates, the God who saves you through water, the God who redeems you, who buys you back. That's slavery language, right? So that's Exodus language. Yeah? And you have the one who calls you by name and you are mine. Yeah, isn't that great? See, this is, this is a good baptismal passage. What's going on up there? Why does the pastor say, and, and how is this child to be named? And you all go, what, you don't know his name? You shouldn't know his name. You're his pastor. <laughs> no, he's not saying that because he's, uh, he's not aware of it. He's probably already got it written in his book, right? But why do we say this? Because in baptism, God calls you by name. And listen to this. He will never forget your name. Matter of fact, it's written in the book of life. And nobody gets to erase what's written in that book. Nobody. In all of creation. Satan can't erase it. You can't erase it. Nobody can walk and accuse you of something so terrible that your name gets erased. No, no, no. When God writes your name in the book of life, guess what? That's that. And that's the promise of your baptism. That's why when you hear a pastor say, remember your baptism, that's what it means. It means trust the promises of God kept for you in Christ. Trust that. Run to it. Right? When you wake up in the morning and you are totally certain there's a God and everything is wonderful and the Bible is 100% true and life is good, what do you do? You run to God. And when you wake up in the morning, you go, I'm not sure there is a God. I'm not sure this Bible thing makes any sense. What do you do? You run to Jesus, you run to Him. You say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And what is he going to do? He's always going to love you. Always going to call you by name and say, you are mine. Death and resurrection for you. Okay? So all this is going on. I know you might not think so, but all this is going on with the walk in the water. All of this. And John is writing it. So that his readers and his hearers are hearing the Exodus, they're hearing the creation, they're hearing Isaiah in all of this. And it's all fulfilled in Jesus. Okay? So number three. Who is Jesus? Yes. True God and true man. And here, oh boy, this is going to be a disaster. Now I've (laughs) got to write in Greek. Sorry, I'm gonna close my eyes and <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, ready? Yep. Oh boy. <laughs> well, supposed to, Well, I was close, wasn't it? Let's see if I can do it again. How's that? Well, that's pretty close. Okay, a go of me is is I am. It's, it, it's kind of Greekish. Do you recognize it as Greek, kind of? Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Anybody else no Greek in here? Oh, yeah, you guys know Greek. But you guys have to put up with it. All right. So, ego of me is, um, you guys probably know, you've heard it before, it's on the internet, whatever, that throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am. Okay? And in Greek, the words are ego of me. And he says this in several different ways in the Gospel of John. We've already encountered it in John chapter 4 when, when they're talking about the Messiah and he says to the woman, I am speaking to you, am he? That's not exactly the same there because there's, there's words with it. But there are these places in the Gospel of John where he just says the words, I am. Like, that's it. Period. He doesn't, he doesn't defend it, doesn't explain it, just says, I am. And it's here. It's, it's in 858 and it's also in chapter 18, I think it's verses 4 and 6. Okay? So you can go there. So let's look at John 8:58. We'll get there next year. We'll get there in, in a year or so. We'll get there in 2021 or so. Okay? So in John 8:58, Jesus said, "Truly, truly I say to you who before Abraham was, I am." Okay, And what did they do in 59? Yeah. They picked up stones to kill him. So they know that he is saying that he is Yahweh. They take offense at that because that's blasphemy. Or it's true. Those are the only options. Either Jesus actually is or he's blaspheming. We'll see how the book ends. We'll see which one it is. Right? I'll give you a hint. Jesus ain't lying. Okay, go to don't they find him of know he's right. They just didn't wanna Well, I mean all evidence is pointing toward him being right. They just didn't like They can't live with it. They can't deal with it. They have no context for a human saying I'm Yahweh. That that's out of that's that's just crazy. And yeah, then there's all kind of implications down the road of If he's, uh uh-oh. Yeah, they got issues. Okay, John 18. (coughs) Verse 5. I said 4 and 6, and it's 5 and 6. I was close, you know. John 18, 5 and 6. He says it twice. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said just the traitor standing there with them. When Jesus said I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Okay, so it's just I am. Really, the he is kind of added. So he just says I am, and they fall over. The soldiers, the armed soldiers, fall over backwards when Jesus says, I am. Something's going on here. Yeah? Okay, so those are the three explicit places where Jesus says, I am. And the context of the passage actually implies that he is speaking in a way that only Yahweh speaks. Okay? In Exodus, didn't Moses ask God to say, who shall I tell you? Yes. Yes. No. He didn't say this. He actually said a different... The, the Greek translation of Exodus 3 does not have this. Okay. That's why I'm not necessarily mentioning that. In English, it looks like, but it's not the same in Greek. Um, he says, I am ha-on. Ha-on is the Yahweh of Exodus 3. Not ego of me And this is actually from uh, Isaiah, is the one who preserves this. My finger's working. <laughs> Did you see that? My finger's working. Life is good. Wow. Uh, not that much not that good okay that was fun now I can write with my finger but it's my left hand I don't know if that's going to work my left hand has no idea what my right hand is doing (laughs) Uh so yeah I mean there's an illusion but it's not an exact parallel in Greek I know most English Bibles say that but yeah Yeah. I mean it's not wrong but it's not really accurate it's kind of like good try Okay? So, are you guys okay so far? it make sense? Now, just because we have all the time in the world together, Robin. So you showed us the two, so the one in John 6 is a title on mean also? Yes. So this is the first one, and then you have John eight fifty eight, and you have um, 18, 5, and 6. Reason? Right, so it's just ego of me. They're just translating it differently. You just, it should say always I am. That's always saying. But it also is the normal way to say I am. So you've got to be honest. In John chapter 9, you have another ego of me, but it's not Jesus speaking. It's the blind man. They're like, are you, are you the guy? Then he goes, ego of me. I am. But no picks up stones to kill the blind man because no one thinks he's claiming to be Yahweh. Right? Because he's just saying, I am the guy who was born blind. He's not saying, before Abraham was, I am. He's not standing on the water and saying, I am. See, the thing, it's not just the two words put together that make it remarkable that Jesus says this, it's the way he says it and when he says it. Okay? Before Abraham was, I am. That's claiming something. This guy standing before you says, I am, before Abraham who lived over 2,000 years ago. That's saying something. A guy who's standing on the water saying, I am, that's saying something. A guy who says, I am, and a whole host of soldiers fall over at his word, that's saying something. Me walking to Gene and go, are you Gene? And he goes, I am. That's not saying that much. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Revenge is sweet. (laughs) Gene, we are so thankful you are here today. Because a year ago, right? God is good. All the prayers we prayed? Definitely answered. Thank you very much, right? Yes. We rejoice. Very much so. Okay. Um, So, what questions do you have for me? So that John 6, 20 it is I. really just I am. It is I am. Yep, that's just I am. So six twenty-eight fifty-eight 58 and 18, 5 and 6, it really is just I am. Now we'll encounter it again when he says I am the rod of life, I am the light of the world. It's the same word but then it says it has more on the end. I am the good shepherd, right? All those. Those are more I am statements but they have stuff on the end of them. Any other thoughts or Questions on this. It's just I am. They're just adding the he because in English it doesn't make sense to just say I am. They're trying to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Translators do that. It's okay. It does mean I am he. It's just probably hiding a little bit what how they would have heard it originally. Okay, so what we have here then is. Oh, finger's not working. Remember when you go back to the feeding of the, the 5,000. Okay. Left finger working, right finger not. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? I think it's You think it's down here is better? It seems like. Oh, it might be. It's just not working. Better. So the feeding of the 5,000 is associated with what work of Jesus? Walking on water. Yeah, but later. The Lord's Supper, good. And this is all about him giving his life for the salvation of the world on the cross. Okay? So then what is the walking on water? Wow. (laughs) Okay, now it's not working. It's all about the resurrection. This is actually a resurrection parallel. So if you have the feeding of the 5,000, which is pointing to the sacrifice of Christ for the life of the world on the cross, the the walking on water is the the Easter account. And it's amazing when you read it that way, because guess what? The Greek words that John uses are similar. (coughs) He uses similar vocabulary in his resurrection account as, as in the walking on the water. Odd. And Jesus shows up to the disciples who are terrified, and what does he say? Don't be afraid. What do you say in John 20? Peace be with you. And they go, is it you? And he's like, why don't you check it out? Look. Marked with the crucifixion. Okay, so there's a, lot, there's a lot to read in this. Also in the gospel is that now in this feeding of 5,000 walking on water, and miracles kind of slam together, you have the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the rest of John 6 is going to explain that of the death and resurrection of Jesus is him giving his flesh as the bread of life. And when you eat that flesh and drink that blood, you live. Resurrection. Okay? Susan? You've lost me. Why? I was walking It's, so if the feeding of 5,000 is the death of Christ, kind of metaphorically in the Gospel of John, he points ahead to his crucifixion in the giving of the, the loaves and fishes. Okay? Then the next miracle would be the resurrection miracle. So the feeding of 5,000 points us to the death, of, the death of Christ. The walking on water points to the resurrection of Christ. It's just a metaphor. If you don't like it, that's fine. If you don't like it, just ignore I said anything. What? supper yeah. in there, but you lost me with the other one. Well, okay, so it... it when evening came as I was gotten to the, in the sea and then the boat started across the sea, it was now dark and it does not come yet. We'll see that you miss it there. Um, in the Greek, the, the description of the darkness and everything is the same as it is in John 20 with the resurrection. Okay. Oh. There's, there's a parallel there and Jesus comes to the disciples and so they're not expecting him to come like in the upper room they're not expecting him to show up and he does he walks through doors that are locked out for fear of the Jews so here he walks on water they're not expecting him and when they show up they're like ah and, he, and he's like hey don't worry about it both times so there's just a lot of parallels to the appearance of Jesus after the resurrection that's eh, fine you don't have to like it I actually did make it up a guy dude wrote about this in 1854 was the first time it appeared in an English commentary. I'm not just making it up. All right, number four. So what is unique, what is the unique miracle in John's account? So the fact that they ended up the other side of the Yeah. In John's account, all of a sudden, as soon as he gets in the boat, they're where they're supposed to be. Not mentioned in the other Gospels. Okay? So all of a sudden, Jesus gets in the boat, and guess what? They're zapped to land. Somehow. Okay, so this is a unique thing in the Gospel of John. You're not going to read this in Matthew and Mark's account. Um, but this is what happens. As, as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, they're where they're supposed to be. Okay, and there's actually a lot that is implied there. But since you didn't like my Eastern thing, I'm not going to try that one either. <laughs> we'll just move on. Okay, what questions do you have for me? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I. was inspired to record that because it points like what came first? That's a very good question. And that, that's a really hard one to answer because I think the answer is yes. I mean, Jesus obviously knows he's going to die and rise, right? So all this, and he'll talk about this in the next part is John 6, is that Jesus knows that all the stuff he's doing are signs for people to look at and see what he's going to do on the cross. Why can't right? he do it clearer though? Of oh, I mean he does at some points, but then why why do it all craziness? Well then we wouldn't, wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Donuts and coffee. I would have nothing to do on Sundays. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean that's that's a great question. It really is. Well, and why didn't he just say every day, you people I'm going to die for you instead of well and I know he did this to prove that he was Yeah. obviously, but it just seems he could have been lest we tell him how to do his <laughs> Well, remember, the disciples say, why are you telling parables? And he goes, so that people won't understand. So why was that then? Yeah. What? Because, um, again, I'm not going to presume to speak for Jesus, but it, it, it does seem what, to be what Jesus is doing. He's actually, and this is in all the Gospels, not just in John, is he's actually walking around physically fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. Not just the promises of the coming Messiah, but actually the promises of how God interacts with his people. And so he's actually walking around going, uh, You should be recognizing this, people. Right? You should be recognizing what's happening here. And they're like, What? And he goes, Old Testament? These things were written, and I'm doing them now? This is, this is exactly what happens in today's gospel reading. John says, what, are you the Messiah? Or you look for somebody else? And so what does he do? He goes, well, you know, there's the Christ is one person with two natures and that person is not divided, but the two natures are... No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He quotes an Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah. And so I think that's kind of the answer is, is he's actually showing them that when God shows up, this is what it looks like. And they said, that's not what we expected it to look like. And he goes, exactly. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get weirder. Because I'm going to be nailed to a cross. And at that point, I'm going to say, see, I'm God for you. And they're going to say, you don't look anything like God for us. As a matter of fact, you look like the opposite. And he goes, that's, for some reason, that's the character of God. God and, and the, the real answer that's a long way of saying I don't have a clue okay. I don't know you're right but he does say it he says we're going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me and three days later I'm going to rise again and the disciples go that's one of those weird metaphor things I guess I don't know what he's talking about and then it happens they still don't understand it so he, when he does say it plainly they also don't understand but yeah I don't know it's a great question somebody had a hand and to kind of add on to that, then why are the Gospels different? Why is this recording um, about what we just said? Yeah, why, is all it, that. Why, why are they different? So, so, so I mean, what why so I think is I think this is exactly why we have four Gospels. Because they're all looking at the exact same life of Jesus and John is bringing out certain aspects and he's telling his story in a certain way so that you can see the tie-ins. He's going ooh when I write it this way, you're going to see all of these links to the Exodus, to the creation, to Isaiah, to the fulfillment. Matthew is writing for a totally different reason. He's showing you how Jesus is the fulfillment of the people of Israel. And so he's going to make all kinds of ties into that. Matter of fact, he's going to actually quote the Old Testament in ways that it refers to Israel. He's going to refer to Jesus. And Matthew does that all over his gospel. He's like, well, that's what it says in the Old Testament. And you read the Old Testament you're like, oh, that was a promise to the people of Israel, and I all of a sudden you're saying it's about Jesus. And Matthew's going, get it yet? This is God's people all encapsulated in one person. So if you want to be God's people, you want to be in that person. Well, how do you get into a person? Don't you know that all you who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his, right? See the language? This is Paul saying, Did you guys catch it? Did you guys catch it in Matthew? Because this is what's going on. Mark writes for a very different reason. Right? Luke writes for a different reason. John writes for a different reason. But they're all telling the same good news about the same Jesus who did the same things. It's all the same story. But John constructs his gospel very carefully. to to bring in all these themes and to highlight Jesus' life. Because you guys do realize this isn't the actual life of Jesus. It's just parts of the actual life of Jesus. You know what he did on the first Tuesday after he was baptized? Me neither. Because he doesn't talk about it that way. Right? It's not like, and then he went, you know, and he took a little nap because he was tired. (laughs) because he was teaching and nobody understood him so he's annoyed. You know, it doesn't say all that kind of stuff. It's just, we just have these snippets. You know, he taught the people and nobody understood him and then like later he's healing everybody in the village. Like, well, is that like one day? No, I don't know. It, it isn't, it's not a blow-by-blow account of his life. They're choosing events that he did and things that he said and putting them together so we understand this holistic view of Jesus and we have four accounts of that. Right? Does it make sense? Now, did they make stuff up to suit their agenda? would it be really nice if we would have had this feeding event over here and then he could tie to the Lord's Supper and we'll just make that up. Is that what they did? No, because the readers, the people who received these Gospels would have said, he didn't do that. What are you talking about? Like, no, no, no. These are actual things he said and did. Jesus actually said and did all the things recorded in the four Gospels. He actually did them and said them. John just chooses to present them in a unique way. Matthew chooses to present them in a new way, right? They're not changing the actual words and actions of Jesus. They're just arranging them so that you'll see them. The the themes are bringing out of them. Does that make sense? Well, he helps a lot. So he was directing how God wants us to receive all of this. So so then what you have is the Holy Spirit saying, you know, he's going to work through these four authors to give to the church what we need in the gospel. And then he chooses this guy named Paul, who you would have never thought is qualified because, you know, when, when the Holy Spirit first signs him up, He's killing Christians for fun, right? So he chooses his apostle Paul then to write these letters to the churches so that all the church will read those letters of all time and know the truth. Right? And he chooses Peter to write epistles, and he chooses the author of the Hebrews to write. You know, the Holy Spirit is doing this so that we have the scriptures. It's the way God's working. It's just the way it happens. Okay. Does that make sense, Scott? Well, I'm, I'm trying to think. That there's there's a couple of ways also to interpret it. Sometimes you can understand one way of things being taught and not understand another way. Yeah. And so having four different perspectives right. will give you better. And and that's the way so it goes. I mean, the other, the other thing is, if you talk about great historical events, let's say, I don't know, Battle of the Bulge. Just because you have one person saying, I saw it this way. You can right. have three or four other people saying, well, here's my perspective. I was there. This is what happened. And Someone goes, I was there too. This is what happened. They're not wrong. Right. But you read both those accounts and I have a better, a better picture. Right? And I've been to the Battle of the Bulge site. Like, more times than I can count because I used to live just down the road. And there's all kinds of things to read. You know, I was over here, and it happened this way. And I was over here, and it happened and this offensive happened over here, and this offensive over happened. You know, and eventually you read them all, and you go, "Oh, I've got a better idea of what happened over here." Right? Okay. So, what do you do with that? So, as as we read through John six, what you're wanting to really think through is that the God who identifies himself in the Old Testament as the God who saved you by rescuing you out of Egypt, the Exodus God, is the God who is now once again rescuing his people from the slavery of sin. That's what's going on in John 6. The same God who creates, the same God who rescues out of Egypt through the Exodus event Is the same God who is now present to save his people from their sins. And that's that theme is gonna carry us through chapters six, seven, and eight. Okay? And he's gonna keep he's gonna recapitulate that theme through six, seven, and eight. And then nine will be a little a little bit of a different different theme. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we know that your kingdom is the place that we want to live. And yet we live our whole lives pursuing other things. And therefore we know that it is only by grace that we are welcomed into a kingdom that we don't deserve. To live with a gracious Lord whom we don't deserve. And yet this day we rejoice. For though there is nothing in us, nothing about us that merits your favor it is in your son our savior jesus christ that you have called us to be yours that you've called us by name and we now rest secure in the grace and mercy that you have for us teach us to live our lives each day rejoicing in your love repenting of our sins hoping in christ and then sharing that love with those that we encounter we ask you to keep us safe as the weather comes be with those who have to travel and be with those who are working to keep our roads safe. Bring us back together again that we might rejoice in the goodness of your love and our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank y'all.